0: Oh ага, yeah, ага, ага.
1: welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. And thank you for circling back for yet another episode. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the support. As you may or may not be able to tell by my voice, I am still fighting this cold. So tonight's show is going to be very heavy on the calls. Somehow, I doubt I'll get many complaints about that. So in the interest of saving what little voice I have left and getting this show on the road... What do you say? We get into our first call. First up is a strange tale about a possessed piece of music. This is Isaac's Call from Florida.
2: Hello, Derek. This is Isaac from Central Florida. Um, I don't know, I figure if I guess if I just load you up with all my stories, you can, you know, use them as you see fit, you know, on your show, you know, whenever the time comes up. This this story uh, happens in Central Florida in the summer of 2009. Um, I had moved to North Carolina temporarily to live with my sister because her husband was being deployed and, um, in the Army. And things didn't work out. I wound up getting um put out on my very end, and I was back in Florida. And I moved in with a childhood friend who I'd reconnected with. And um so I'm living with him, and um one day a mutual friend of ours comes over, and he said that he had found an abandoned mobile home in the middle of, a, of the field, Um, which here in Central Florida, you know, in these rural areas, is not too uncommon. Um, But he said that there was this trailer, and uh, he broke into it, and was, you know, looking around. And he said that in this trailer he found a trunk that had some old records in it. And, um, you know, the old vinyl uh, records. And a couple of them was a very old Metallica album. I think it was one of their um one of their first um singles. And then the other record was a band called Slayer. It was their first um L P that they had released. And um on the cover of this Slayer record, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it has a a satanic image of a uh goat a devil um with a pentagram made up of swords covered in blood and the goat satan is placing the final sword into the um, pentagram on the cover and uh you know the word slayer is all on fire and everything um well i was into heavy metal um not not so much slayer and that was kind of not my cup of tea um but I bought, him, I bought the records off the guy because I thought, you know, they're old, they're original, they might be worth something one day. I think he sold them to me for like $5 a piece or something. And, um, so, you know, I was happy to have them. And, uh, I took them and, you know, put them away in in my room. <clears throat> well, a few months later, I I meet my, the woman who is now my wife. And, you know, we hook up and everything, and things go down, and I wound up moving in with her in her apartment, um, which is, um, here in Zephyr Hills. Well, um, we move in together. I take these, um, I take these records and put them in her bedroom closet up on the shelf. And, you no, know, I, I forget all about them. You no, know, I don't really, don't really think about them again. Well, over the, it didn't take long. It was like over the course of the next few weeks after I initially moved in, things began to happen where um, it was very apparent that we were not alone in that apartment. I mean, there was something paranormal going on. There was definitely something crazy because at first it was things that, like if you're if you're taking a shower and hear some rustling or some racket going around along in the, around in the bathroom and, like, things on the counter are rearranged. Or, like, you hear something drop on the floor and the hairbrush fell on the floor. And it's like, you know, you can't explain how that happened. Or, you know, like, little voices or little things like that are going on. And it, it's primarily bothering my girlfriend more so than it is me. It was like it was more directly targeting her, Um, there were some pretty terrifying moments where, like, one night, you know, we're, we're uh, laying there sleeping, and the closet that I had put the records in was, like right at the foot of the bed, you know, the closet was on that side of the room, and I, I wake up one night, and she's frantically kicking her feet. And uh, pull them. She's kicking her feet and she's trying to pull them up under the covers up towards her as, as fast as she can. I mean, she's panicking and just, I mean, just going off. And um, she tells me that she woke up to the sound of the closet door sliding back and forth, and there was a closet that had the accordion style doors. And she looks over the uh, look, looks across the room and she sees that the closet door is sliding itself shut. Um, At that time, it it slid open again, and she said that from the closet came a shadow figure. Now, it was very thin. It was like a very thin, skinny, decrepit kind of um, figure, Um, you know, dark without any features, and it lurched its way out of the closet and became, became... as it came closer and closer, that's when she started to freak out and kick her feet and pull them up and everything, and that's the point of where I woke up.
3: Um,
2: I also experienced seeing the closet door move, and that woke me up a couple of times in the middle of the night. So I can also, you know, justify that that definitely was something that was going on. Um, throughout the house, you know, my my son's toys would just turn on by themselves and you know little babies have those toys that you push the button and and then makes the cow sound or whatever and you know it's easy to pass it off as it's just malfunctioning but when it happens in a way that seems so deliberate over and over you know it gets harder to you know pass it off as bad faulty batteries making it you know active or whatever but that was just one of the one of the things that was going on um I mean, my son at the time he was um, he was only three or four years old, and he would come running out of his room down to the kitchen and just latch onto one of us, and you know, terrified, talking about how he saw a white dog in his room, a a blue eyed white dog would just be sitting in his room looking at him why would a little kid just make something like this up? I mean, he was scared out of his mind. Um, things like this went on for weeks, and, and it was um, definitely, I mean, it was a bad situation. Um, now, I was raised by in a Christian home with a Pentecostal mother. She is um, what you call a prayer warrior. She's all the time battling the devil. You know, I was raised to know and believe to call on the name of Jesus that that name has spiritual authority and power over the dead, over the over the enemy, over Satan. Um that's the point where I got to. It was like look I've I'm I'm smarter than this. I know how to deal with this. I know how to handle this. I got the I, I got to the, to the point to where I mean, even though I was raised that way, I wasn't living it. I wasn't committed myself. I wasn't a devoted Christian. Um, I would later become a born-again Christian, but, you know, at the time, I mean, I was pushed to prayer, and I was pushed to, you know, that name, because, I mean, my house was haunted. It was terrifying. Um, Man, I was praying for for an answer one night, and it just came to mind. It just, all of a sudden, that Slayer record sprung into my mind. And as like I was told, get rid of it. And man, I went to the closet and I found it. And um, I, man, I took it right outside. I broke it in half. I, I broke it over my knee. I you know ripped it up, threw it in the garbage can. And man, once that thing was out of my house, that spirit was gone. All that oppression lifted. All the crazy things were gone. Now. I firmly believe that somehow that record, either the imagery on it, the music it contained, maybe it was cursed. Maybe there was a seance done over it or something. But that record opened a door. It opened a spiritual door to where it allowed those demons into that apartment to try and wreck my life and my relationship. And uh, it almost did. I mean, my girlfriend was to the point to where she almost threw me out. Um, I mean, and it was some very tense times. I mean, I mean, it's, I'm telling you, this is real, man. This kind of thing is real. And I think that your listeners, you know, they should know the demonic realm is extremely real. It's a very serious, um, subject and it is one that will ruin your life. If you do not know how to identify it and conquer it and get rid of it, um, I mean, like as an example. I mean, I was just thinking about this, and another incident came to mind. I mean, while we were going through this terrible experience, I remember one night where my wife, my girlfriend, sat up in the bed, and her eyes were closed the entire time. But she sat up in the bed and looked at me, and her tongue flicked, flickered out of her mouth in an unnatural way. And it was like like a lizard, but like in like really, really fast, like like really rapidly flickered in her in her mouth and just did this thing and then laid right back down and you know it's like now in my research and looking into these kind of things i mean i've actually read that many believe that an unnatural flicking of the tongue like this is a sign of a demonic possession or demonic oppression um you know i mean that's a a visual that you know I'll, i'll never forget you know um but man, I, I just wanted to share that, and um, you know, I know people going through this kind of thing might lose hope. I mean, they might move out of their home or leave their possessions over this kind of thing. And um, I mean, it's not um, it's not something to be you know to give up over. And there is hope. And um, anyway, thank you for the show. I appreciate what you do, man. Have a good one.
1: thank you, Isaac. This is truly a strange case. And as an outsider looking in, I'm wondering if the album had a bit of a placebo effect, meaning that Isaac purchased the item, then noticed odd things happening in his home. Now, is it possible that the odd things were already escalating, and at a certain point, the record simply became a scapegoat of sorts? Though it is very difficult to pin down exactly what may have unfolded in this story, there is one message that Isaac shares near the end that I think holds a lot of power with people in similar situations, and that is the message of hope. No matter how bad paranormal activity may seem or how terrifying your home may be, there's always hope that whatever it is, it will eventually go away. Thank you again, Isaac, for sharing that experience with us. Our next submission takes us to the skies over my old stomping grounds. The following is from Carlos in California.
0: Hey Derek, this is, uh, Carlos calling from Los Angeles. Kind of feel a little weird calling, um, about my story because I'm a little bit of a skeptic, so I kind of, I don't know, I feel weird calling. But anyways, here's my story, um. One night I was coming uh, back from the hospital with my ex-wife. Well, my wife at the time. And uh, we're coming back from uh, Kaiser, from uh, Harbor City. And we're on the 110 freeway. And uh, we're driving back home. It was like around 2.30 in the morning. So they we were taking like maybe like 3 o'clock, 2.30, I don't know. But um, we're driving back home. We had spent the whole day at the hospital. And, uh, I went home in the sky I saw some lights that were blinking simultaneously, like, in sync with one another. So at first I thought it was like an airplane because we're near LAX. So I was like, oh, maybe it was an airplane from LAX. I don't know. But, uh, I kind of just brushed it off. But it, it did, not it did catch my attention, though. And, uh, next thing you know, it was, uh um the the blinking light just kinda like they had like a spot they they the bright light, kinda like showing the spotlight on the freeway. And at the time I was like, What the hell's going on? Like I didn't think much of it. Okay. Like, May it's in California we used to highway high 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 speed chases. So I didn't think much of it. I was like, Oh, maybe it's a high speed chase. So I pulled over to the right to the right lane. Waiting for the car to drive by me. And, uh, the light was shining. And then at the time I told my wife, like, uh, like, hey, you know, like, hey, pull your phone out so we can record the car. And as, as, she, as she was pulling her phone out, uh, the, the light that was, the spotlight just kind of hit a flash, kind of like a photography. Like, it just kind of flashed. And I'm like, what the hell? After flash it um it just like it was kind of like after it after it hit the flash it just uh it just like bursted into the it bursted into the sky like kind of like a comet or something i don't know after like it was a spotlight and the flash and it kind of burst into it kind of burst into the sky like a comet, but the light behind it was green Seems kind of weird, I'm kind of a skeptic. My my uh, my wife at the time like she she was very very she's very big on, on um, religion so she didn't believe much of it so she was like she's a very she was a very religious person so she didn't think much of it herself but I don't know that's kind of my story it just seemed kind of weird I don't I don't know how to explain it I want to say the helicopter I want to say a plane landing from LAX I don't know but it's just I'm not a big believer in aliens, but it just, it just is kind of weird the following day i like, I tried to check on the news like I, I went i went online and I checked the news and I took the news on TV, but I picked him up twice as far as far as night but the funny thing is that once that the the flash hit, there was a car next to me and the and the flash hit and uh the car next to me kind of just uh, the guy the, the guy next to me kind of just looked at me. Like like weird kind of like he's really kind of like confused and then like that too. We just both look like confused. So there was another guy that saw it too. So I don't know. Like like I said, it was like around two thirty in the morning. It's not like cars in the freeway, but it was the one car that was next to me. And the, the guy they, the guy did seem kind of confused. So I don't know. Maybe you can inspire a better attack. Thank you. You have a great podcast. Thanks for your time.
1: thank you, Carlos. Having lived in LA for over 10 years, I can testify that the skies are alive with activity at night. You have LAX and the Burbank airport, in addition to Ontario and Orange County. And that's not even including all the news and police helicopters. And as if that wasn't enough, there seems to be drones flying around constantly. So it's a logical assumption that Carlos could have been fooled by one of these benign light sources. After all, he said so himself that he was traveling very late at night, so it's quite possible that he was tired and his eyes were deceiving him. One thing that Carlos' story did remind me of was an infamous incident that took place in the skies over Los Angeles back on February 25th of 1942. The now legendary Battle of Los Angeles was a purported enemy attack and subsequent anti-aircraft artillery barrage. The incident occurred less than three months after the United States entered World War II, as a result of the Japanese Imperial Navy's attack on Pearl Harbor. Initially, the target of the aerial barrage was thought to be an attacking force from Japan. But speaking at a press conference shortly afterward, Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox called the incident a false alarm. Newspapers of the time published a number of reports and speculations of a cover-up, including reports that the craft witnessed was not of this world. Despite hours of firing anti-aircraft weapons, the unidentified vehicle eluded all capture. As a rare treat, I've managed to find the actual news broadcast about this confusing event.
3: The news of the world, Wednesday, February 25th. Once again, Columbia's correspondents in world capitals and in the fighting zones in the Western Pacific are ready to give you the latest news direct by shortwave radio. And now for news of our own West Coast, we take you to Los Angeles and the report of Byron Palmer. Anti-aircraft guns went into action against unidentified aircraft in the Los Angeles area shortly after 3 a.m. Pacific wartime this morning. The anti-aircraft guns began barking during a blackout ordered by the 4th Interceptor Command at 2.25 a.m. The unidentified object which some sources thought might be a blimp, moved slowly down the Pacific coast from Santa Monica and disappeared south of Long Beach. Army officials declined to comment on the possibility that the object might have been a blimp. However, it required nearly 30 minutes to travel some 25 miles, far slower than an airplane. Watchers on the rooftop of the Columbia Broadcasting Building in the heart of Hollywood could plainly see the flashes of guns and searchlights Sweeping the skies in a wide arc along the coastal area. Concussion of the shells could be felt in downtown Los Angeles, 15 miles away. U.S. Army planes quickly took to the dark skies. But whether they contacted the object has not been announced. Army officials say they will not comment until they receive a full report of the action. Although some watchers say they saw airplanes in the air... Semi-official sources say they probably were the U.S. Army's pursuit. Several observers say they saw one or more planes spotlighted by 20 or 30 searchlights. The object moved southward, presumably over Huntington Park at the western edge of Los Angeles and on southward to about Long Beach on the coast. By 3.30 a.m., observers said the object appeared to be over the south of Long Beach. Searchlights closely followed the object down the coast and kept it centered in their glare. Shells frequently could be seen bursting near the object, but none appeared to hit it. The shooting stopped about 3.30 a.m. The shooting brought warfare to the front door of this city of a million and a quarter population for the first time since December 7th. Already, it was alert to the presence off the Southern California coast of a Japanese submarine, which had pumped 25 shells into an oil field north of Santa Barbara Monday evening. Because of the presence of the submarine, a three-hour alert was ordered at dusk last night, and civilian authorities stood at their posts while the Army and Navy continued their search for the submersible. The evening alert ended at 10.23 p.m., but another was sounded at 2.22 a.m., and the blackout followed within three minutes. It covered Los Angeles County from Santa Monica to Pomona. At 2.27, all Southern California radio stations were ordered off the air except those in San Diego. Approximately 20 minutes after the firing died down, the ship returned and headed westward from Long Beach toward Santa Monica. The guns went into action again, hurling round after round of shells at the object. The second barrage appeared to be closer to downtown Los Angeles, since watchers could hear the concussion of the guns more clearly, and the flash of bursting shells was brighter. Then the ship disappeared for the second time over the ocean. We return you now to CBS in New York.
1: What an interesting story. Thank you again, Carlos, for sharing your experience. Our next call comes to us from Corey in the state of Utah.
4: Hi, my name's Corey. I'm calling from Utah. Um, I wanted to talk about an experience that I had. Uh, This would have been... In the summer of 2002, um, I'm like sent up from Utah. I grew up Mormon. I've since distanced myself from the church, but I did serve a, a mission for the Mormon Church. And um, before missionaries go out, you go to a place called the Missionary Training Center, the MTC. Uh, I served in Central Canada. My deepest apologies to everyone in Central Canada who had couple of weird girls come knock on their doors in between 2002 and 2004. Um, anyway, because I was in North America, I went to the Missionary Training Center, or MTC, in Provo, Utah. And this particular MTC, uh, there, there are centers lo- located all over the world, but this particular MTC has a reputation of having kind of spooky things happen and uh, that's what I wanted to talk about was my experience that happened to you while I was there. Uh, just some vocabulary. Um, when you're on a mission, you have a companion who you basically have to be in the same room with unless that room has, is the bathroom at all times. Um, at the MTC, I was companions with another girl, and then we shared a room with another set of companions, so there's four of us in our little tiny dorm room so I have my there's me, my companion and two roommates anyway uh, there is also it's very strict it's it's kind of like boot camp every minute of every day is accounted for and you get exactly eight hours to sleep you're supposed to go to bed at 8.30 or excuse me you're supposed to go to bed at 10.30 and you wake up exactly at 6.30 and that's the way it is and that is not the way my body likes to sleep so This was was a very difficult thing for me, my entire mission. Um, Anyway, so this one night, um, I was laying in bed. I was in a bunk bed. I was on the top. And I was asleep. And it felt like something took my shoulders and shook me awake. And Again, I'm on the top bunk. There's absolutely no way anybody could have gotten up there without me feeling the bed shake and, and waking up. And... I was laying on my back my head was turned toward the wall and in front of me, in front of my eyes, there was, the only way I can describe it is, is a portal that's about the size of a dinner plate that slowly closed while I watched it and I thought, you know, I, I just was kind of stunned there for a second. I'm like, well, no, okay, this is just a bad dream. I'm under a lot of stress and I okay, just had a bad dream. I'm going to go back to sleep and after a while i did um and then sometime later i have no idea how long it happened again it felt like something grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me awake and in front of my face in the wall there was what looked like a portal about the size of a dinner plate that slowly closed and and i was really really scared and now i'm on lockdown basically I, and I, I wouldn't, didn't know who to go to, to for help. And so I just, you know, I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed until I felt calm enough to go back to sleep. Um, when I woke up in the morning, I told my companion and my roommates what had happened. And um, the girls that were in this room, there was me and then one of the girls, the other companions, companionship, that grew up in a very Mormon area and then the other two girls although they had grown up Mormon they didn't live in a predominantly Mormon area and I'm telling them the story and the other girls who grew up in a predominantly Mormon area is just absolutely starts to freak out she's just saying no 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 do not talk about it never tell anybody that story ever again um, and I didn't think anything of it I thought you know this is a bad dream this is project- uh, something that has to do with stress until I saw how how this other girl was freaking out. Uh, so that's my story. Um, I don't know what that was. Like I said, the MTC has, in Provo has something of a spooky reputation. For my experience, I acknowledge that there is a very good chance that it was a product of stress and not having enough sleep. And being in an environment that is not very conducive to well-being for somebody with my personality. However, if it was an entity, I don't think that there was anything necessarily malevolent about it. Uh, the MTC is a very stressful place. There's a lot of people, a lot of young people there, a lot of turnover. If you're going on a mission where you're already fluent in the language, it's only a three week time. Uh, It's not much longer if you're learning a new language, I think six weeks. So there's a lot of young people who are coming and going all the time. Uh, There is a lot of stress and if there was a supernatural cost to that, I think that there are entities out there that feed on stress and that would make the MTC a perfect place for them. Um, and these entities I think thrive in the dark and that's kind of the reason why I'm calling in is because I think that by shining a light it will drive those entities out rather than attract them a lot of people seem to think it will anyway I would love to hear your take on what happened to me I love the show and hope you have a great day bye-bye
1: Thank you, Corey, for sharing that call. As usual, I'm not going to sit here and tell Corey that what she experienced was not a paranormal event. After all, how would I know that? But what I will do is offer a logical explanation for what she experienced that evening. The clues are sprinkled throughout her call. She mentioned that the sleeping schedule she was forced to adhere to was not beneficial to her sleep cycle. She also mentioned that she was stressed and tired. These are all triggers of the infamous sleep disorder, sleep paralysis, something I've talked about extensively on this show. It's my opinion that Corey suffered from an episode of sleep paralysis as a result of her stressful schedule and sleep pattern, which caused her to see the strange portal and feel the hands grabbing at her. I could go one step further and say that the response by her fellow worshippers was a simple programmed response as a result of their religious upbringing. Then again, these are only my opinions. Without having been there and experiencing the same terrifying event that Corey did, it's impossible for me to say for sure what actually went down that evening. Thanks again, Corey. Sleep paralysis or not, it's a great story. Our next call is a short submission from an anonymous listener in the state of Oregon.
5: Hey, um, first time caller. Um, I was kind of scraping my brain to see if I had any paranormal experiences to share. Cause I, um, I'm a big fan of the show. Um, the one that sticks out in my head is at a hotel. Uh, when I, I was living in Portland, Oregon, uh, my girlfriend at the time and I we had an anniversary dinner and, uh, we decided to stay at a hotel there and it's a chain of hotels in the Northwest area where they kind of um, uh, repurpose old um, buildings, like, you know, schools or um, what have you. This, this happened to be an old farm that they turned into kind of like a hotel restaurant resort kind of thing. And so the, the, venue there had a lot of history anyways uh, later in the evening you know we co- we come back from dinner and we come back to the room and we hear stomping in the on the ceiling and we're like what the who the heck is upstairs you know and they must be having fun and uh, we, we realized it's like wait a minute we're on the top floor <laughs> Who, who would be running up upstairs? And then, if I recall correctly, the the roof to the facility was, like, steepled. So it's not like something somebody could easily just run back and forth, you know, making all that noise. And uh, a combination of that and just being a, an old farm site, uh, you know, we wondered if, like... Was it a ghost? Was it, you know, a, a handyman? We don't we don't know. But uh, anyways, I just wanted to share that. I thought it was fun.
1: Yeah. Keep it up. Thank you, caller. Oftentimes, when you hear rustling above you and you either know for a fact that there's no one up there, or, as in this case, you're on the very top floor, the cause is rather simple. Rodents. There are pockets between the floor and the ceiling of most structures. These spaces are usually filled with insulation to block out sound in cold or warm temperatures. The tight spaces and fluffy insulation make it a perfect place for rats, mice, squirrels, and even birds and insects to raise their young. And, as you can imagine, they're usually not that considerate about the noises that they make. But like Corey's call previously, I can't say for certain that this is what our caller heard but I do think it's just as likely as a ghost or other entity roaming a steep-pitched roof in the middle of the night. Although I've presented what is, at least in my opinion, a solid explanation, I wonder if anyone else in that room has reported similar activity. If so, that could warrant further investigation. Thank you again, Caller, for sharing. The next story I have to share with you is an amazing tale about a creature in the desert southwest. This is John's story, from New Mexico.
6: Hi, Derek. Uh, you're doing a fantastic job. I just discovered your podcast, and it's great. Um, I am John. I'm from New Mexico. And uh, the, this is the last time I will relay this. I am a part Apache, and my father told me about Skinwalker. I didn't believe it, I took it with a grain of salt. In 1993, summer, it was a beautiful summer night. I was working as a security guard at a a hotel resort in Taos. I uh, had finished my patrols through the parking lot, and I came back and I parked under a tree by the main parking lot uh, in front of the lobby. Um, I, I was so relaxed, and it was such a beautiful night, that my eyelids started to drop. Just then, something punched the bottom of my car. I could feel the jolt. I drove a 78 T-Bird, and those were long and heavy, but it rocked it like it was nothing. I pulled forward and turned around in the parking lot, hit my brights, and I saw sitting where my car was this huge dog-like thing It was muscular, black and tan, but I, I saw that there was something wrong with it. Its eyes, and it locked its gaze with me, were human. Those were human eyes. It didn't have a dog's snout. It looked more like a human, elongated nose, and it stayed staring at me. I felt as if my soul was getting invaded. Um, I was almost mesmerized. And then I remembered what my dad had told me and warned me about. I snapped out of that, that, uh, that glance, and I hit the gas pedal, and I tried to run it over. It ran off the property, across the highway, onto the Indian land, uh, the Taos Pueblo property. It ran back across the highway and headed towards the parking lots. I made chase. I saw that it ran into parking lot number three. Out of the parking lot into this area that we call the ponds. It has two cesspools and a maintenance shed on top of the hill. I got off my vehicle, grabbed my 44, and I went after it. Um, I could hear it moving around in the weeds. And the weeds grew there about nine feet tall. I mean, huge weeds. I could hear it moving and I could hear it breathing. It was panting and I could, as I was listening, I could tell that it was trying to get around me. And I decided that I wanted the, the, the high ground. So I moved to the top of the hill by the maintenance shed and I waited for it and waited for it. It busted out of the weeds, incredible speed, and it tossed me like I was made out of matches. I lost my pistol, and I'm feeling around for it, expecting the thing to sink its fangs into me at at any moment. I found my pistol. I got up, and I saw it running, but this time on two legs. What went in there on four came out on two. It didn't look dog-like anymore. It looked like a nude male, and it had uh, long black hair and it ran across the the, the road into the the desert-like area, and I had a bead on it. I I had my pistol, I had a bead on it, but there was houses in the back, so I couldn't fire off a shot. It ran back across. It hooked a left, ran back across, and disappeared um, back into the Taos Pueblo property. I heard it screaming. It was the type of scream that wasn't animal, but it wasn't human. It was a combination of both. I'll never, ever, ever, as long as I live, forget that scream. I filed a report, and my bosses were skeptical, and they offered this explanation and that explanation. And one thing I learned with skeptics is usually their explanations are more bizarre than the actual story itself. I was told by my father, "Never talk of this. Never talk of this." Um, I never, I've never since seen it again. But I ran into uh, the worst, <coughs> the worst luck that uh, any anyone could run into, uh, and I attribute it to my confrontation with the Skinwalker. Since then, I've had two failed marriages. My kidneys no longer function. I've had a toe amputated, and I've lost both my parents. It's been quite an ordeal. I'm 52 now, and things in my life are starting to pick up. But I told this story simply because people have to know that these individuals are real. Love the podcast.
1: Thanks Thanks, John. I want to start off by saying I'm incredibly sorry to hear about your string of bad luck. I truly hope it improves soon and fast. As for your account what an incredible series of events. I've heard of several skinwalker type encounters that took place on a desolate road or thick forest but never one with such prolonged exposure to the creature. I think I could probably propose a million questions about this particular story, but I think the biggest I have would be this. Is there any chance that this was simply a person in a costume of some sort? After all, John did emphasize that the creature's eyes were very human. Of course, if this was just a prankster, they are much more brave than I. Trying to scare an armed security guard is not the brightest of activities to partake in, in my opinion. Thanks again, John, for taking the time to share this incredible account. I have one more crazy story to share with you, but before I do that, I want to remind you guys of a few things. We hit our goal, and then we blew right past it. As of this morning, there were 314 reviews on the iTunes page. I cannot begin to tell you how exciting that is for me. But hey, let's not stop there. Keep those ratings and reviews coming. One of these days, iTunes will take notice of the steady climb, and then things will really take off. Thank you again for those that already took the time to review. I truly appreciate that. And speaking of appreciation, I want to thank Marianne M. and Max G. for their generous donations. If you'd like to join them in supporting the show, simply head to MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click on the Support the Show tab. Donations of any amount are welcomed and greatly appreciated. If you have a story you'd like to hear on the show, please give the hotline a call at one 888 608 night That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can click on the Report Your Sightings tab on the website for more submission options. I'd love to get a few new Bigfoot stories submitted, so if you're holding one of those in your pocket, please consider calling today. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, I'm putting a finishing touches on the Patreon campaign that will deliver additional episodes to all you diehard fans out there. Barring any unforeseen catastrophe, I'll be making the announcement on next week's episode, so please stay tuned for that. Alright, time for me to share one last call, and let me tell you, I have a good one lined up. This is Jeff's call from Maine.
7: Hey Derek. This is Jeff. Uh, This takes place in Holton, Maine. Um, Basically, I'll start from the beginning here to kind of get an understanding of the day. Uh, My father had recently had a couple strokes and was very, very ill in a nursing home. So I lived out of state, came home. I was home for quite a while to to help my mother out with some things at the house. And basically, this would have been... um, june 21st of 2013 Uh, i went down to the coffee shop in the morning grab a coffee kind of hang out for a little bit as i came out of the coffee shop i saw multiple military vehicles um you know they weren't desert camo or anything like that they were you know i guess you would say jungle or forest camo the thing that was interesting is they were fully loaded with uh you know, military people, uh, soldiers, I guess. Um, and, you know, one of them drove by and had, you know, like a you know, fully loaded machine gun on the back of a Jeep and whatnot, and I was kind of like, hmm, well, they aren't turning and looking at me, so I guess it's not martial law or, you know, we haven't been invaded because they're American, so I kind of just was like, well, they must be running a drill or doing something because we have somewhat of a decent-sized armory up the road, so didn't think a whole lot of it walked back home um later that evening i'd say around probably 7:30 or so uh i was in the backyard doing some things my mom was out there my brother pulls in the yard and of course he can't see me because i'm around back but he sees my mother and i hear him yelling to my mother mom 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 come look at this come look at this hurry 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 so i'm just thinking i overheard it so i'm like i wonder what the hell's going on so I walk around the corner and I see my mom going out front, so I kind of hustle up, run to the front of the house, and my brother, I, and my mother are looking up across the street uh, over the neighbor's house. Five orange orbs, I mean, they're, they're cooking it across the sky. They're coming from basically west to east, roughly, you know. Um, no more than, I'd say, 100 feet over this person's house. And uh, it was a beautiful evening, uh, very nice up and very nice all day. Um, They started coming and then all of a sudden there's seven more that are coming behind them. So we have 12 orbs total, five kind of in front and seven more kind of not far behind them. No noise, very low elevation, basically flying faster than... I mean, any aircraft I've really ever seen in the sky, you know, and right over the street, pretty much up above to our right, it was a humongous thundercloud, basically in the middle of just a gorgeous day. These orbs dip down slightly, or basically I should say they start to descend, then one by one... They kind of have a corkscrew motion, and I don't mean a corkscrew motion like a jet, where you can actually see the jet, and it's spinning, and this was just a motion, because it's an orb, you know, you can't really tell what's top, bottom, left, or right. So, they dip down and make this corkscrew motion up into this thundercloud, and by, I mean, quick acceleration, it's just shoom, 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 Every one of these orbs flies up into that thundercloud. And, of course, me and my brother and my mom are like, whoa, what's going on? no sound, no noise. Literally 30 seconds after they rip up into that thundercloud, the most torrential downpour I've ever seen in my life happens, happens for like one minute. Then it's gorgeous again all night long. So we were kind of talking about it. We were like, whoa, man, that's crazy, blah, 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 you know, and we do as most people do. You kind of just Talk about it for a little bit, then you go on about your business for the rest of the night. Like I said, I was pretty busy trying to help my mother out. So, uh, you know, as for what I was doing in the backyard, I was cleaning up a lot of brush, a lot of sticks, a lot of crap like that. So later that night, I was having a fire. And this is probably, I'd say, around midnight. Okay. And my mom lives at the top of a hill on our street, which isn't a long street, but she lives at the top of the hill. We got a neighbor right next to us going down the hill. Um, on the other side of her house is neighbor's yard. And it goes down to the next neighbor who's got an empty lot in between us. Okay. Aside from that, I'm sitting there having a fire, hanging out. In my hometown, there's no one out. I mean, there's really no one out during the day. If you walk down through town, aside from seeing people in cars driving around, you'd think you were in a twilight zone town because there's just literally no one out anymore. Okay, all the kids are gone, everybody's pretty much moved away. So long story short, there ain't a whole lot of people walking around, especially at night even. Okay, so I'm sitting in my backyard. There's cedar hedges that run basically in my backyard, and there's a little gap in between the back of my garage and where the cedar hedges start. So I can see the the next door neighbor lady's yard very easily because she's very close to us, no more than 25 feet away from our house, her house is. She has a big dog pen out back that I'd say is roughly four and a half feet tall at the highest because she's got two humongous dogs that are very observant, very aware, and they literally bark at anything 24-7. You can't even walk by on the sidewalk at night being ridiculously quiet. They will hear you and they will bark and they don't really see much because she's got all her windows blocked up, you know? But, you know, dogs, they just sense stuff and bark and go crazy. So, I hear these footsteps coming from the other side of her house, you know, basically facing that empty lot. Then you got the other neighbor's house down there. And I'm like, huh, geez, I wonder what that is. It sounds, doesn't sound like an animal per se. Because sometimes, you know, you got skunks or you got coons, and that's about all you really ever see in town. And I figure, oh, God, it's got to just be a skunk. He's going to come wandering through as I'm having my fire. So then I hear a branch snap, and I'm like, what? I'm like, that's definitely not an animal. It's a two-legged person. I'm going to try and cut this short, too, so sorry. Um, so I stand right up, and I go, and I stand in this gap between the garage and the cedar hedges, and I can see, you know, past her dog fence, then there's, like, some kind of some maple trees, and I can see down into the, like, the porch light on the neighbor's yard. There's, like, a little gap in the leaves that you can see. So I hear some snapping, It doesn't sound heavy. And all of a sudden, from around the corner of her house, I see something step around the corner, and I see a silhouette of a head. And it
4: doesn't
7: doesn't really look like a human head, per se. It's not like a gray alien head. It's almost like a smaller alien head. And I'm like, what the hell, thinking in my head. So I have no light or I have no anything. Like I say, it's just a dark silhouette because of the light of the ladies porch down in the other house shining up towards me. So, I didn't really know what to do. I knew it pretty much wasn't human because I could tell by the height of it. So I whistle. Okay? As soon as I whistle, this thing bolts like a shot of lightning. It takes five steps across that empty lot and across that other lady's yard and crashes through the tree line going into the next neighbor's yard further down the street. Now, this has to be at least 50 or 60 yards from where I saw it to where it crashed through those trees, and it took five steps, okay? And basically after that, I'm kind of in shock, and I'm like, what the heck? All of a sudden, my stomach starts feeling really, really sick, really, really weird, and I'm kind of like, oh, what the hell? I'm going to put the fire out and go <laughs> inside pretty much, you know, wait till morning. So I went over next morning, and where I saw the head in the gap of the leaves – was at least I'd say seven and a half feet tall okay now this didn't seem like a Bigfoot creature because like I said it couldn't have weighed any more really than I do no more than 180 pounds because it didn't sound heavy when it was running I don't know if you kind of know what I mean but even a deer if you scare it and you hear it it's it's kind of thudding you know what I mean it makes a heavy thud on the ground this was light skinny tall um and basically, it took off, it bolted. So, like I said, and the next morning I went over and I reached my hand up in the gap of the leads where I saw this thing, and it was easily seven and a half feet tall. So, basically, to elaborate on this, I was kind of looking to see if anyone else had seen the orbs, and sure enough, that same night over in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, which is the next sizable town across the Canadian border from my town, somebody saw a bunch of orbs over the city, and then they disappeared. So I don't know if I kind of had a sighting of an alien or what it was, honestly, but it was huge and it wasn't heavy. The military also, I found out, had had a joint operation with tons of law enforcement in the area up at the airport in my hometown, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of individuals and this big task force basically ran a mission as if somebody was landing a vaccine for a huge outbreak and people were trying to steal the vaccine that was the operation that went on in my hometown which is very small, like I said. So I just wanted to throw that in there so people, as far as I know, there was either right up in the Holton Pioneer Times or the Bangor Daily about the military operation, but nothing ever mentioned about the orange orbs. And I know a lot of people think drones and stuff like that, but I also need to just explain that where I come from is very rural, very poor. It's the poorest county pretty much in the state of Maine. There's not a whole lot up there. There might have been somebody who had a drone back then, but I'll tell you right now, there certainly wasn't anyone who had 12 of them, or 12 individuals who each had one that were all flying them at the same time, all up into a thundercloud. So, as far as what I saw for the creature, I have no idea. It wasn't heavy, it took off like a bolt of lightning, it ran 50 or 60 yards in five steps. And it was definitely coming, I think, to check out what I was one because I was the only one up and around in my whole neighborhood so like and what really freaked me out to make me think it wasn't an animal or a human is her dogs did not make a sound and there's just no way that thing could have walked by there that close to her house on that bank snapping branches without those dogs going ballistic so like I said I don't know if it put kind of a I don't know what to say. Basically, I'm going to cut this short because I've already gone over twice. So, sorry, man, but I just wanted to fit all this in there because it's kind of a lengthy story. So, thanks for the podcast. I know you'll edit it the way you, the way you normally do, and that's fine by me. Leave out certain things or include it all doesn't matter to me, man. I just felt the need to leave the story because everyone else has been doing such a good job doing it, and I want to see the podcast keep going, man. Um, also, if you look on the Canadian ufo website you can see a report on the same night of those orange orbs over fredericton as kind of a collaborator you know a, a verification that it happened on the same night in a basically moving in that same direction because fredericton would have kind of been west from polton my hometown so anyways thanks buddy chop it down as much you need sorry for the length of it and take care man keep up the good work bye
1: Thank you, Jeff, for sharing that encounter. I'll start off by saying that I tried to get my hands on the article that Jeff spoke about in his call, but unfortunately I was unsuccessful. If anyone listening happens to live in the area and has access to it, please forward that on. Now, this story has so many elements that it's difficult to break it down. But, for starters, I first thought what Jeff was seeing were simple military flares, which would make perfect sense if the military had an obvious presence in the town just hours before. But, as he described them launching into the air at high rates of speed, that pretty much ruled that theory out. My other thought was ball lightning, a phenomenon that until the 1960s was considered paranormal in nature. Ball lightning is an unexplained atmospheric electrical phenomenon. The term refers to reports of luminous spherical objects that vary from pea size to several meters in diameter. Though usually associated with thunderstorms, the phenomenon lasts considerably longer than the split-second flash of a lightning bolt. But, I've never heard of 12 accounts of ball lightning in a single sighting, nor are they usually described as being orange in color. Then that leaves us with the entity that he witnessed in his yard, an encounter that I'm not sure I could even make an educated guess on. But the thing that keeps coming back to me is the military presence. Is it possible that the lights and creature that Jeff saw were merely part of a military exercise? Perhaps they were employing technology that we've yet to see. Maybe this branch had access to a dozen drones. Maybe the quote-unquote creature he saw was merely an exercise in developing camouflage technology. Or perhaps it was the other side of the coin. The armed forces were called out in response of the lights and the creature. Perhaps once we're able to read the articles Jeff spoke of, we will get a more clear idea of what transpired that day in Maine. But until then, I'm afraid we're left with more questions than answers. Thanks again, Jeff, for sharing that call. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is given by Warren Pond Abbott and Addie Lloyd. It's not too late to get that love in your life, a Monsters Among Us t-shirt, or decal. Visit the shop tab on the website for more details on that. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu, Anti-Tector, and Nature World 1986. It's time for some NyQuil. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
4: It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To connect with us. To see that no detail is too small. To be our special guest. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus Sales Event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.